Week two is almost upon us here in the ISFL. And boy, oh boy, is there quite a bit to talk about here from week one. Welcome back to ResFans Daily ISFL Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Fan, better known as Joel Drake. Today, we're going to be taking a recap look at all the games around the league from week one. And we're going to be taking a quick look ahead to some of the games from week two. Now, we're going to start off with the Honolulu Hahalua at Austin Copperheads, a game the Copperheads won 35 to 23. Starting off, we're going to talk about just how good Austin's passing offense looked. I mean, they were great, weren't they? I do need to correct myself from last week. I assumed that Gaines had retired. He is retiring at the end of this season. However, he won't be retired until the end of the season. So he is still a part of Austin's passing offense. And really, I think they're all the better for it. Really, I was just shocked at just how efficient Easton Cole was. 339 yards, two touchdowns on only one interception. He led this group to their 35 points and their ultimate victory. And I just want to talk about Eddie Gita looked absolutely fantastic. He was the only receiver for Austin to go over 100 yards. He was only one of two receivers that caught a touchdown. And I think that what my prediction was that he might not be ready to step up into the wide receiver one might end up being completely wrong because he definitely looked the part today. Of course, can't all be positive about Austin. Their rushing offense really, really struggled. Zoe Watts, was able to uh, take quite a few goal line touchdowns, one of one yard, one of five yards, and one of two yards. But overall, she had the best rushing day, and she only averaged three and a half yards a carry on 16 carries for 56 yards. That's going to end up being a concern. Not every team is going to have a weakest secondary as Honolulu. And if Austin wants to do anything else on offense on any game, on the road or even at home, they're going to need to figure out how to get Zoe Watson involved more often. And as I've said, with net gains retiring at the end of the year, Vidal Son is going to have to step up into those wide receiver two duties when he's gone, and I think he, more than anybody else, looked ready for it. Today, he had three receptions and took those for 74 yards. He averaged about 25 yards reception, took one catch for 42 yards. That is an absolutely incredible, explosive performance by the young player, and I think in about a year or two, you're going to not have any worries for this awesome passing offense. Now we're going to go over to Honolulu, and these are going to be a lot less positive. Really for them, I'm worried that Jed Podolak may be their only viable receiving option. He was the only receiver to get over 100 yards, same as Eddie Gita, except unlike Eddie Gita, he didn't have a touchdown, and there was nobody else on his squad that even began to match his output on offense. The next closest receiving number was 72 yards on three catches, and the next closest after that was only 53 yards. And... Honolulu only put up 23 points on offense. So you got to hope that somebody, somebody other than Jed Podolak has to step up. Now, we also need to talk about their lack of push in the trenches. Honolulu only had three sacks on the day and only had two tackles for loss. That is just not going to get it done. Now, they did a good job of limiting, as I've said, the Austin rushing offense. But you need to be able to make some plays, especially for an offense that's going to struggle. And they allowed three sacks on the day and got penalized about six times. That's not going to get it done, especially for your offense. They need to help out Luke Skywalker at quarterback, and they need to make sure that they win at the most important position of all, the trenches. Now, one problem where they didn't have any issue was their special teams. They had absolutely no issues through Venus Powers. She hit both extra points, and she hit three total field goals to score most of their points on the day, and then punted seven times for over 300 yards, a long punt of 69 yards, which is absolutely incredible, and had one punt go down inside the 50. 
And they also had a great kick return performance from Dawkins. Four kick returns for 131 yards. His longest of the day went for 71 yards. So he's definitely not going to be an issue for them. And they're going to have to figure out a way to capitalize on their talented special teams. Now, there are two notable people I want to talk about on Austin's offense. First off, as I said, Easton Cole, 339 yards, two touchdowns, one interception for an 87.2 QBR. He had a great day leading this offense, and I think that as long as he keeps that level of play up, you're going to see quite a few more Austin victories than even I predicted. Now, also, I need to talk about Zoe Watts. I know I spent a little bit of time talking about how she maybe didn't perform up to standard, only three and a half yards per carry, but when she needed to get that extra one to two yards, she converted on that for three total touchdowns. That is, she's making my prediction for offensive rookie of the year look pretty good. That's all I'm going to say. Now on defense, they had some very, very strong contenders. Colt Mendoza for quite a few years was this Austin defense, and it doesn't appear like he's slowing down this year. Seven tackles and three pass deflections is the primary corner for this defense. As long as he keeps that up, they're going to have absolutely no issue defending the pass. And Mac Arianlacher, the linebacker, he was just all over the field. Five tackles, two sacks, two pass deflections, and an interception. Yeah, I think Austin's going to be doing pretty well for themselves at linebacker. Moving over to Honolulu, there's only one offensive player I wanted to talk about, and that was Jed Podolak. Seven catches for 104 yards. He was pretty much the only Honolulu offensive player that showed up the other day, and he's the only one I really wanted to talk about because if he doesn't show up, this offense doesn't go anywhere, and if he does show up, it still looks like they're going to struggle. But as long as he's there, Honolulu at least has that little bit of hope for their offense. On their defense, Ray Ray Jackson, five tackles, three pass deflections. Three. Pa- whenever you see two or more pass deflections, you know uh, secondary had a good day. And Ray Ray Jackson really uh, was the epitome of that. And then Buck Thornton, the safety, with two tackles, one pass deflection, and an interception. He was the reason they were in the game for quite a while. In fact, they even managed to uh, very briefly take the lead. Uh until they managed to give up two rushing touchdowns to uh, Zoe Watts. But that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about from the uh, Honolulu-Austin game. Moving on to the Philadelphia-Baltimore game, the winner of which was the Baltimore Hawks, 23-20. Now, for Baltimore, what I wanted to talk about was this score is very misleading. Now, normally when you say that you have a misleading score for a game, you're talking about a, a score that maybe was a bit, Uh, bigger than it actually was some a team won maybe by two or three scores when really the game was a lot closer than that but really Baltimore barely barely won this game by the scrape of their teeth they barely took the lead with only about 26 seconds left and they really this was more down to luck and home field advantage than anything and they need to make sure that any game that they play they're going to get as many wins as possible Facing the Liberty, only winning by three points at home is really concerning to me. The fact that they gave up a 79-yard touchdown reception to Randy Vuxta, that's concerning to me. Uh, The fact that their passing offense was so, so poor. Uh, Chika Fujiwara throwing for 278 yards and two touchdowns and one interception. Uh, It's a bit misleading because of the sheer amount of passes that Chika threw. Really, what I think they should do is lean on my Fukushu. Fukushu had 13 carries for 81 yards, averaging 6.2 yards a carry. That is very, very good for them. And I think that right now, you've got a bright future for your wide receiving core in Howlett, Campbell, and Corbin Brown. But what you need to understand is that they're not going to be ready for another two or three years. So what you should do is really lean on that running game. I think that 6.2 yards per carry shows that there is a potential for that running game to work. 
and you just need to lean on Fukushu because I just don't think Fujiwara is going to be winning you a whole lot of games, not this year, especially not with where the receivers are right now. Uh, moving on to Philadelphia, really what I wanted to talk about was they kind of reminded me of the Falcons, to be perfectly honest, and that is not a compliment. They held a 20-13 lead with nine minutes left, and they just couldn't. They just melted down, allowing 10 unanswered points right on to the end of the game and blowing a lead in a game that they really, they need every win they can get, and blowing this win's going to hurt, especially against a team like Baltimore. And as much as I love Fuzzy Dotson and Sam Torrenson, they need new running backs, and they need new running backs now. The Sam Torrenson's on the heavy side of aggression. Fuzzy Dotson's not going to be great for much longer. They need playmakers, and they need somebody else to carry the running the duties at running back. And their third down percentage even for a road team, was bad. They were 4 for 13. That is 30%, folks. That cannot be allowed to continue. They really need to pick that up. A lot of their third downs were third downs and medium, about 4 or 5 or 6 yards. And I don't know if they just need to start throwing the ball down the field or just trying to force some things, but their running game is not going to get it done. And that's really what I think has made their struggle on third down all the more apparent. Now, on Baltimore, in terms of their notable players, I wanted to point out two of their offensive players. Doug Hallett, the rookie wide receiver, really stepping up for Baltimore. Seven catches for 129 yards is that main option. As I've said, Baltimore has a bright future for some of their wide receivers, none brighter than Doug Hallett. As long as he can keep up these kind of performances, he's going to... tackles which doesn't exactly jump off of the page but then adding four four pass deflections he might as well be playing cornerback with those numbers and then Matt Hole, the safety five tackles two tackles for a loss and one sack he was all over the field the other day two tackles for loss and a sack especially for a safety is just incredible and really their defense performed about as well as could be expected even against a team like Philadelphia now for Philadelphia, there's only one offensive player I wanted to talk about, and as I said, that was Randy Vuxta. Only four catches, but he turned those four catches into 115 yards and a score at the very end of the first quarter. He was really the primary option on offense for Philadelphia, and he seems like he's going to have to be that way for the entire year. And I don't know how many how long he's going to be able to keep it up, but I think you're going to see quite a bit more stat lines like this as Philadelphia looks to lean on their primary wide receiver. On defense, Spike Suzuki, the linebacker, had nine tackles, a sack, and two pass deflections. Looking very, very strong out there at linebacker. He's all over the field. Getting the sack and the two pass deflections really what was keeping. He was the main reason that Baltimore was really struggling for so long. And then Jeremiah Zelos. Everyone knows who Jeremiah Zelos is. Six tackles, one pass deflection, one interception. Just make it just a playmaker all over the field. Now moving on to Yellowknife at Chicago. Butchers barely winning this one, 31 to 27. And really what I want to talk about for the Butchers is just let George O'Donnell sling it down the field. You've got perhaps the best trio of wide receivers in this entire league. You've got an extremely talented quarterback in O'Donnell, and your running game just doesn't seem to be getting it done. Just let O'Donnell sling it down the field and just see what happens. Just have some fun with it. Bender B. Rodriguez, Sean O'Leary, Lucas Scabia, just a fantastic trio. And George O'Donnell, I think he is actually ready to lead this team, and I think you've got to give him that chance. Just let him pass it down the field all day every day and you're going to see a lot more 30 point games out of him uh what i really need though is for you guys to tighten up your secondary colby jack passed for 348 yards two touchdowns only throwing one interception for a qbr of 101.2 and really yellow doesn't have the weapons 
where Colby Jack should be putting up those kind of stat lines. So that is a big concern to me for your secondary. I know they've got the talent to hold down most quarterbacks to next to nothing, but they just need to perform to that level. Uh, and also talking about their defense, they only had two sacks on the day and they only had one tackle for loss on the entire day. That defensive line is just not getting it done right now. They're running the, they ran and threw all over this Chicago sec, the Chicago defense. And you just need to improve that most important part of the defense. As I said, is the line and you need to make sure that you get some pressure on the quarterback. You're going to see a lot more 350 plus yard passing days all season. Now, for the Wraiths, I want to talk about just how imbalanced their play calling was. I know I just talked about letting O'Donnell sling it, but it's not going to be the same for the Wraiths. They don't have the wide receiver talent that the uh, Butchers do, and that needs to be reflected in their play calls. They ran 68 plays on offense the other day, only 24 of those running back runs, and that's just inexcusable with Henyadi and Skyline in your backfield. They are perhaps the most talented running back duo in this league, and that should be reflected in the calls in the plays that you call. And really, I think that trying to lean on Kobe Jack right now, it just isn't going to work. You don't have the wide receiver talent. You don't really have the tight end. But I think that you could get this offense to work, and you could have won this game if you just relied more on Skyline and Henyadi out of the backfield. Now, granted, Skyline did put up a great receiving stat line when you guys put him back there, nine catches for 148 yards and a touchdown. But really, just get the ball in those guys' hands in any way you know how. And just balance out your play calling. Uh, right now, I think they really need to lean on their defense. Their defense put up uh, quite a few good stat lines, uh, even though they did allow 31 points, yes. But most teams are going to struggle against this talented Chicago offense. And right now, the Wraiths just need to control the clock, worry about having as long possessions as possible. They did win the time of possession game in this game, 33 minutes to uh, 26 minutes. But they just need to lean even more on that defense. Let your defense make plays. You've got the talent to do it. You've got the talent to rush the quarterback. Just let them get turnovers, let the game come to them. Let their talent work for you. And uh, one final note for the Wraiths is just they need to clean up the penalties. They had seven penalties against them for 51 yards. That is absolutely a game changer, especially late in the game where you are up 10 points, 27 to 17, and then you allow back-to-back long touchdowns for the Butchers. You can't be giving them any free plays, and just on the road, you can't be as sloppy as they were the other day. Now, for the Butchers, George O'Donnell, obviously, I want to point him out. 314 yards, three touchdowns, and a 100 QBR. He's possibly my best quarterback performance of the week, and he was just incredible. Like I said, I think he's ready to lead this offense. Just give him the rock and tell him to throw to whoever's open. And Sean O'Leary, six catches for 106 yards and a touchdown. He's your primary target for a reason. He's a big guy. He's a fast guy. He's somebody you can really lean on, but really, overall, just the trio of wide receivers really stood out to me for their offense. On defense, I want to talk about Tyron Shields. Only had 11 tackles, which led the team. No other stats, but really, whenever you can get 11 tackles as a cornerback, that's just that's a whole lot. That means a whole lot to me in terms of your defending in the run game. And that's just a big boon to whoever can uh, can pull that off. And also another secondary member, Osiris Firestorm Fjord. Five tackles, one pass deflection, one end. Just got to love the playmakers in the secondary, and Firestorm Fjord is that. And you guys have just got an uber-talented secondary. They just need to be more consistent. As these stat lines show, they can make the plays. They just have to get better and get more cohesive. On the Wraiths, Colby Jack did have a very good day. 348 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception for a 101.2 QBR. And Akira Skyline with nine catches, 148 yards, one touchdown. Now, Akira Skyline, most of his stats, you'd expect to go on the ground, but really they didn't run the ball as much as 
as I've said, as I think they should. So Skyline split out a wide receiver quite often, and he credit where credit's due. He did make the plays that he needed to make. He was downfield all day, 148 yards and a touchdown. Colby Jack did play a very good game. I, I have to give him credit to that. I, as much as I said, they should balance it out. He did take advantage of that, almost going for 350 yards on the day. Anytime you see over a 100 QBR, you know he had a good day on offense. On defense, Douglas Quaid, uh, five tackles, two sacks, two pass deflections. He's a linebacker. He's going to get those stat lines, especially since he's got the talent to do it. He's all over the field. Not much else to say about that. Nero Alexander, seven tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack. Anytime you can get a member of the secondary to get those kind of stat lines, you know you're being as aggressive as you need to be. Like I said, just lean on your defense, Yellowknife. You've got the talent to do it. Next up was my prospective game of the week last week, Yeti It's Selfish, and it ended up actually being the biggest win of the day by 17 points, Yeti winning 27-10. to 10. Takeaways for the Yeti, the offense needs to pick it up. They only scored three points in the first half, and that's just not going to get it done against most teams. Now, granted, they were at home, and granted, they were facing what I could still consider to be the second-best team in the league, but only three points in the first half, that's just not good enough. You just you need to get it together. Uh, in particular, the run game, Daryl Williams was supposed to really be a boon to this run game, and he only ended up with 11 carries for 35 yards. His longest run on the day was seven yards. I don't know what you need to do. Maybe improve your offensive line. Maybe just give him more chances. But right now, Darrell Williams just hasn't been in that first game what he needed to, and it really showed in the offense. But to be more positive, I really think that this Yeti defense is probably the best in the league. The Sailfish have an uber-talented offense, and they only score 10 points on the day, only allowing one touchdown in the first quarter and then a field goal in the fourth. Really, the defense kept the Yeti in it until their offense woke up, and then they just pulled away, and the Sailfish were never in it. And I really got to say that the Sailfish offense really let down their defense. Like I said, only three points in the first half, and they were only up 7-3 to three come halftime. On a road game against a team like the Yeti, the Sailfish needed to produce on offense, and they just didn't do it. Dexter Banks only threw for 250 yards and didn't throw for a single touchdown, only, and he threw one interception. That's just not good enough. Your defense is way too talented to let your offense waste it like that. They got to pick it up. Uh, though I do think... Facing the best team in the league is going to make any team look a little rough, and I don't think this is the real selfish. I think you're going to see them blow out quite a few teams this year. I think you're going to see them perform a lot better. First game being on the road against a team like the Colorado Yeti, any team's going to look rough, and I just I don't think this should be an indication as to where we think the selfish are going to go for the rest of the year. Uh, I do want to give credit, though, because their O-line was not the issue. Their O-line had 26 pancakes on the day, and they only allowed one sack. So if you're looking at whoever caused the issue, the O-line was not the problem. They only had two penalties, and they were just all over the defensive line for the Yeti. So really what you should be looking at is, are your running backs doing their job? Are your receivers getting open? Is Dexter Banks delivering them the football? But one thing area you should not be concerned about is your offensive line. Uh, on the notable players front, the Yeti, Wolfie McDummy, having a fantastic season coming off of defending his MVP campaign. 339 yards and two touchdowns, leading to a 91.8 QBR. And as long as Darrell Williams isn't going, it seems like Wolfie McDummy is more than content to sling the football. Uh, William Lim had six catches for 112 yards and a touchdown. He is easily the primary option for this Colorado Yeti offense. And having such a good day against the selfish secondary is going to be a great sign for things to come. On defense, I do want to give a shout-out to Joel Drake, leading the team with eight tackles, recovered a fumble, and had a pass deflection. Not the best debut for a rookie defender, not even close for this week, but still a solid debut for a rookie nickelback. And to really give credit to Louisiana Purchase, had four tackles, two pass deflections, and an interception that really helped turn this game around for the Yeti. 
Uh, Louisiana Purchase has been a fantastic defender for a long time, and I think he's still got another two or three years in him. Uh, on Selfish, really, the only offensive player I wanted to point out was James Angler. He was the only receiving option that really showed up. Uh, Rain Gordon kind of had a decent day with 64 yards off of three catches, but James Angler was the only consistent target for Dexter Banks. Six catches for 101 yards. He, he's not going to be the only option in the future, but I think he will continue to put up these kind of solid stat lines for the Selfish offense. On defense, I love to point out whenever a defensive lineman has a great day, and Arlington Heights did have that great day at defensive end. Three tackles, two tackles for loss, and a sack is an absolutely phenomenal day for a young defensive end. And even though those numbers may not be as good as, say, a linebacker, he's just not going to get that same opportunity. So seeing two tackles for a loss and a sack has got to give you a uh, big boost to your confidence as a defensive lineman. And then, of course, you got to give the linebackers some credit. Ha ha, Mango Panda. Panda. Five tackles, one sack, three pass deflections just all over the field. He was the one that really held down this uh, Yeti offense in the first half. Moving on to the Arizona Outlaws, the New Orleans second line. Second line win 24 to 16. For the second line, I just got to say you guys have to cut down on your turnovers. Two interceptions by Ben Slothsberger at home is not a good sign. You're too talented for that. And really, this was a really big struggle of the game. Uh, for the second line, and I think this is a reason they should start to lean on Marcella Tariki. She was phenomenal for the opportunities. She got 13 carries for 80 yards, averaging 6.2 yards per carry and one touchdown. She was really the reason that the second line offense managed to move down the field when they did. And I think that they should just keep leaning on her and make sure you have control of the clock. They only had control of this game for 25 minutes as compared to 34 minutes for Arizona. And at home, that's just not a good enough stat line. So like I said, just lean on your running game. If Slothsberger turns out to be the JQ of this year, that's just turning the ball over on repeat. Just keep running the football. Uh, for the Arizona Outlaws, somebody, somebody somewhere has to step up for this team. Uh, their running game, which just wasn't very good. They only ran the ball uh, for 46 yards at most for 4.6 yards a carry. JQ had a decent day, 262 yards and a touchdown, but really nobody stood out for me. Maybe Thomas Passman at the most for seven catches for 82 yards and a touchdown, but somebody on this Outlaws offense needs to step up. They did a phenomenal job against a team as talented as the second line. To even have this game be one score on the road is a testament to the talent that I do believe they possess, but somebody on their offense has to step up. They need somebody. Maybe Heath Evans needs to become the playmaker like he was last year. Maybe they just need to keep running the football, as they said, for New Orleans. Maybe JQ just needs to uh, have one of his better games, but somebody's got to make the... Uh, Somebody's got to make the difference. And in games like this, you need to be able to hit your kicks. And kicking woes are absolutely going to kill close games like this. Jay Jamison missed an extra point, and he was one for three on the day for his kicks. Granted, two of those kicks were from 50 yards out, but you need to make those kicks at the professional level. And in close games like this, if he hits those two field goals and the extra point, you're only down one point. Maybe you get a chance for a field goal at another time. Uh, the Outlaws only took the solid lead with 10 minutes left to go, so you have no idea how hitting kicks like that is going to affect your uh, your future as a team in the game. Uh, but to be more positive for the Arizona Outlaws, perhaps the best rookie performance of the week, Tayshawn Crunk absolutely killed it today. And that was with a capital K. Tayshawn Crunk with three tackles, a sack, two pass deflections, and two interceptions is absolutely absurd for a safety. And I just, I cannot give him enough credit as I said before, I think he probably should have won safety of the year last year, and I think if he continues to put up stat lines like this, he could be up for defensive player of the year, never mind defensive rookie of the year. 
for New Orleans, in terms of the notable players, like I said, Marcella Torgi, just keep leaning on her. 6.2 yards per carry is absolutely absurd at this level, and converting at least one of those to a touchdown was the game changer. As soon as she started to get going, New Orleans got out of their rut. On defense, literally just a hexagon, the safety with 10 tackles, a tackle for a loss, and a pass deflection. Fantastic playmaker at safety, has been for years. Seems like it's going to keep being that way for him this season. And David Rector, 10 tackles and three pass deflections at linebacker. As I said, all over the field, really did a great job eliminating this Arizona offense. Now, Arizona, in terms of their offense, as I've said, JQ had a decent game, 262 yards, a touchdown for an 83.8 QBR. He didn't win the game for the Outlaws, but he didn't particularly kill them either. So in a game like this, it's just important. That's just as important as being the one to win it for you. And Thomas Passman being his primary receiving option, seven catches for 82 yards and a touchdown. Somebody else needs to step up and help him. But as long as he keeps making plays, Arizona is going to be able to move at least a little bit on their offense. Such as their defense, I already talked about Tayshon Crunk and his absolutely insane stat line. And Logan Noble with four tackles, a tackle for a loss and a sack. He's making plays all over the field. And I just think that as long as this defense has playmakers like Crunk and Noble, they're going to be in a lot more games that you might not think they should be. Now, moving on to what was shockingly, and I did not call this at all last week, but shockingly, my game of the week was the game between the two expansion teams, the Fire Salamanders and the Silverbacks, with the winner being the road team, the Fire Salamanders, 30-27. to I could talk about a million things about this game, but we're going to start off, as always, with the winning team. Takeaways from the Fire Salamanders. My main takeaway is just don't give the ball to Nick Capricolin. Just don't do it. It's an experiment at quarterback, and I just this first game proves anything, especially against a team like the Silverbacks. Just don't don't trust Nick Capricolin. Only one touchdown to two interceptions for only 257 yards. He was killer for quite a few times for this offense. Just give. You have... Uh, you had a boon. I don't know how you got Joseph Petrangolo in the expansion draft, but you got him. You have his talent. Just give Joseph Petrangolo the rock and take it out of Capricolin's hands as much as you possibly can because you don't have the talent at quarterback or the talent at wide receiver to lean on a quarterback with as little TPE as Nick Capricolin. And I just have a, just one request for the Fire Salamanders. Please don't waste Asher Quinn. He's only got like two or three years left. And his absolutely crazy stat line of eight tackles, one pass deflection, one interception, which he turned into a touchdown. It's just be so upsetting to see a talent like his wasted on an expansion team. So please, please don't waste him. Uh, in terms of the Silverbacks, I have a much more positive uh, view on their quarterback, Sam Howitzer. He showed me that at least in time, he will be good. Only 201 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception for a rating of 90.4. He did a fantastic job of keeping the uh, Silverbacks in the game. Though he did, yes, throw that one pick six. You know, the joke going around the league is how it's through the first touchdown pass for both the uh, Silverbacks and the Fire Salamanders. And in, technically speaking, I suppose it's true. But I think that over time, as long as Howitzer gets time to develop, he will be good. And you guys, you'd need weapons, especially since knowing that Howitzer will be good with time you need to make sure you immediately start surrounding him with wide receivers. Maybe Kingston could develop in time. Other than him, I don't really see anybody on this offense that's going to be really good in a couple of years. Really, I think that should be your focus going into the draft is creating a strong offense. And the uh, other rookie, uh, Hank Winchester at linebacker, competing for best rookie stat line of the week, is an absolute stat machine. Uh, Hank Winchester with the best stat line perhaps of the week with 11 tackles, one tackle for loss, two pass deflections, and a pick six. Just an absolutely incredible day. He was the main reason that the uh, Silverbacks were still in this game when all really seemed lost for a little while. 
But uh, moving on to Berlin's notable players, Joseph Petrangolo, as I said, just keep giving him the rock. 14 carries for 79 yards and one touchdown. This man averaged uh, four point, sorry, 5.6 yards a carry on the ground. And like I said, you can rely on him about 100 times more than you guys can rely on Capricorn, at least right now. So just keep giving him the football. Though Dre Matthews did show promise at the wide receiver position, five catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the uh, touchdown going for 20 yards, which is pretty good for an expansion squad. Uh, and I think that maybe out of all the uh, receivers on your team, he's probably the one with the uh, most talent, or maybe Cash Jr. There can be a debate there. On defense for Berlin, like I said, Asher Quinn, just with a crazy stat line, he's talented. He, there's a reason you were able to get him in expansions, because he's only got two or three years left. But right now, he's making the most of his opportunities. Eight tackles, a pass deflection, and a pick six. He's absolutely crazy. And then Hingle McCringleberry, the linebacker, formerly of Chicago for very many years, but now in Berlin with 11 tackles and one tackle for loss. Just all over the field, as a linebacker should be. Now, with uh, New York on offense, like I said, Sam Howitzer showing his flashes of talent. I'll have to see how he does against more talented teams, and we will see that next week. Uh, but right now, I think he showed quite a bit of promise, especially for a quarterback being called up after only his second year in the DSFL. Uh, Ashley Owens, a running back, I think they need to make sure that he gets the rock just as much as he did this week. 22 carries for 97 yards, averaging 4.4 yards a carry. Just keep that consistent offense rolling, and you might even pick up one or two surprise wins this year. Uh, on defense, as I said, I already talked about Hank Winchester, 11 tackles, a tackle for loss, two pass deflections, and a pick six. He was really what kept you in this game when it really looked like it was going to start to slip away. And as I said, he's got a very, very, very bright future with you guys. Uh, and Jack Banks, 10 tackles, two sacks, two pass deflections. His stat line got kind of buried under Winchester's, but two sacks and two PDs shows me that you're just as much of a playmaker as long as you can get your hands on the football. That's all right with me. Uh, now, moving on to the Sabercats and Otters, the winner being the Orange County Otters, as I think we most suspected, 23-17. to 17. Now, take away from the Otters, this offense is absolutely horrid. They only put up nine points in the entire game. Their other points, for the other 14 points, one came from a Bob Bob pick six from 77 yards, and the other touchdown came from Corn Abernathy returning a kickoff for a touchdown. That is just not good enough. That, like I said, is just not going to get it done. This defense is fantastic. That's what kept you in the game for very long, especially when your offense was tracking mud. But really what you guys need is you need either the quarterback needs to step up or you need to just start leaning on Tatsu Nakamura. If Suleiman Ranza just isn't ready, which I think would surprise a lot of people. A lot of people expected him to win rookie of the year this year. But if he doesn't turn out to be as good as people hoped, then just lean on Tatsu Nakamura because he had an absolutely great game. Uh, for the Otters, uh, 45 yards, averaging 3.2 yards per carry. He's got the talent to do better than that. So if you don't think Ramza can get it done, just start leaning on your running game. Uh, for the Sabercats, uh, Laxon might be your only hope. La Jamar Laxon, as I said before, he goes, this team goes as Jamar Laxon goes. And if Laxon can produce uh, similar to this stat line, They've got actually a better than decent chance against most teams, especially considering this is how they're playing on the road against Orange County. Uh, their defense was very, very impressive, as I said. Time will tell whether or not this was uh, the game of a rookie quarterback struggling or this Sabercats defense is really as talented as they look. But for right now, I think that can be the primary uh, takeaway from this game is just how good this defense looked. Only allowing nine points on the road against Orange County is absolutely incredible. Let's see if they can keep it up. And games like this, Sabercats, they can't let these games get away. 
you had a chance to steal a game that you absolutely probably should not have been in against Orange County, and you let it go away because you threw a pick six and you allowed a kickoff return touchdown. Without those, you guys win easily. You cannot let mistakes like that happen. Fortunately for them, these are not common occurrences, kickoff returns and pick sixes, but you have to make sure that you don't make killing, back-breaking mistakes like a pick six and a kickoff touchdown. A notable place for OCO, the only one I wanted to point out on their offense was Alex D, their kicker, three for three on field goals, two for two on extra points. He was the only one that was scoring points for the uh, Otters with any reliability the other day. And really, that's there's not much to say. He's the kicker. He kicked when he needed to, and the offense just was not giving him. They, they gave him way too many opportunities. On defense, though, there's a lot more positive. Bob Bob with three tackles, a sack, a pass deflection, and a pick six. He was initially what really gave the Otters some life with this pick six in the second quarter to uh, extend their lead to 13 to three. And then Rapid Eagle, a young player with three tackles, one tackle for loss and two sacks. You love seeing a defensive tackle put up those kind of stats. And really, this defense just doesn't. This defense is going to be fantastic again this year. Probably not as good as the Yeti, but it's really encouraging to the Otters to see that their defense is carrying the slack. Uh, SGS on their offense, the only one I wanted to talk about was Jamar Laxon. As I said, as he goes, this team goes 21 carries for 83 yards, averaging four yards per carry and two touchdowns. He absolutely was the only producer on this offense with any reliability. And I don't see it changing for the rest of the season on defense though. Like I said, there are some positives to look at Ricky Vaughn, two tackles, two pass deflections and an interception picking off the otters and keeping your team in the game is absolutely uh, deserving of a mention. And Lawrence Bass with seven tackles, two tackles for loss, a second, a pass deflection, probably my stat line of the game. uh, If not for Bob, Bob Lawrence Bass, making incredible plays overall my players of the week on offense. I think I got to give the offensive player of the week to George O'Donnell of Chicago. As I said, Chicago just needs to let him sling it. I think he's ready and we'll see probably coming up next week on defense. It was a hard decision for me for between a couple players, especially Hank Winchester and Tayshawn Crunk, but I got to give it to Winchester. That kind of performance, even on an expansion team, keeping your team in the game for as long as he did, especially at linebacker with a pick six is absolutely insane. And I just think he's deserving mostly of this player of the week uh, award. Now we're moving on to my power rankings. Not much changes from this week to last week. uh, But there were two notable changes that I wanted to mention. On for tier two, I swapped the Yellowknife Wraiths and the Chicago Butchers. Butchers move up one spot to my sixth spot. Yellowknife falls down to my seventh spot. Uh, Really, I think that winning that game the way they did deserved them to jump Yellowknife. I think Yellowknife probably had a really good chance in that game, but overall, they just didn't hang on, and I can't justify having the Butchers lower than the Wraiths after the Butchers go head-to-head and beat the Wraiths. And then my other swap was in my Tier 1 class. Orange County falls below New Orleans. New Orleans New Orleans moves up to my 3 spot, moving up 1 spot, and Orange County falls down to the 4 spot. Like I said, I just right now, I can't justify moving the Orange County outside of my Tier 1 slot, but I can't have them lower than... I can't have them higher, excuse me, than New Orleans, the way their offense is playing right now. If they keep playing like that, they're not going to they're not gonna win very many games, probably not even make the playoffs, which would be a first time in their team's history. And New Orleans wasn't super, super impressive either, but against a more talented opponent in Arizona, they managed to pull out with a win, and they looked a lot more balanced and a lot more talented on their squad. Now, looking ahead to Week 2, uh, we've got a couple of slated games that I'm going to be predicting, and this one's got a lot more of a mix Going on in terms of road and home wins, Liberty at Copperheads. I've got the Copperheads, the home team taking it. As I said, I don't know if I'll ever take the Liberty win many games that they play this year, and I got to take the home team Copperheads, especially with the talent they've got. 
Uh, next up, especially in terms of the the uh, slate of games this week, really wasn't as impressive as the slate of games last week. So my pick for game of the week this week goes to the Yeti going to Chicago. Now, this is going to be a big hallmark for me to see how Chicago is going to do this week. I've got the Yeti winning this game, but really, I could you could toss it up 50-50. The Yeti are uber-talented, but the Chicago Butchers managed to pull out a win against Yellowknife last week at home. Now they get a home stand against the best team in the league. This is going to be a big tell to how good they are, and I, I'm just this one I am actually super excited to see uh, how it plays out. Uh, next up, we've got second line at Honolulu. This one was probably my hardest game to pick of the entire week. Never really want to pick specifically against a home team. Even with a team as talented as the second line, and I think Honolulu showed enough for me last week that I think their home field advantage is going to be just enough for them to scrape out a win against New Orleans. I've got the Honolulu Hahalua winning this one. Uh, Otters at Silverbacks. Not going to spend too much time talking about this one. As talented as the Silverbacks showed they were possibly were last week, I can't pick against the Otters even on the road. We'll have to see how this Otters offense picks it up this week, and we'll have to see how Sam Howitzer does against a really strong defense. This is really a trial by fire for him. Uh, maybe he'll surprise people, but I still got the Otters winning. Maybe it'll be fairly close. I don't really know. But I, I really I can't pick against the Otters, especially going up against a first-year expansion team. Uh, next up, we've got the Outlaws at the Sabercats. And the Sabercats showed they had some talent last week, but I got to go with the Otters on, the, sorry, the Outlaws on this one. Uh, Arizona, for me, I think is going to surprise some people for this one. Not too many people picking them to win on the road too often this year, but I think JQ steps up, and I think they find one talented option, option at least on offense, and I think they managed to win this game against the Sabercats. Uh, next up, another expansion game, Fire Salamander. It's selfish. I got to go with the selfish, especially since they're at home. Uh, again, I, I, I just can't pick against the Selfish. I can't pick against them at home, and I can't pick in favor of an expansion team in the first year. Not too much else to say. I think the Selfish show that they are one of the best teams in the league this week. And finally, Hawks at the Wraiths. Another game that was kind of tricky to pick for me, but I ultimately I got to go with the Wraiths at home. I just I think as close as that Hawks game was last week, I can't pick against the Wraiths, especially not at home, not against a team like Baltimore. Have the Wraiths winning this one. Now we get to be a little bit more relaxed. We're going to go on a question time. Only about uh, three people ask questions this week. I can understand. It's a uh, daily show after all. Not too many questions to ask. But first up, we have Adam S. asking, would you rather have three defensive player of the years or one ultimus? And I got to go with the ultimus. You know, that's that's the ultimate goal. You want to get that ring on your finger. You got to win the ultimate game. And it'd be really special for me to win in my first year with the Yeti. As far as, you know, personal success is concerned, as long as I can make a play to work for us to win a championship, that'll be good enough for me. Uh, Kian Preck asks, what was my favorite player week one? And I got to give it to the Hank Winchester pick six in the uh, New York Berlin game. He was, like I said, I keep bringing him up, but having a linebacker put up the stat line he put up and that pick six really kept New York in the game for longer than perhaps they should have been. And it was the reason this game only ended up being down to three points. Uh, Kian very nicely asked, how's your fantasy team looking so far? And I got to say, they're looking better than they have. In the other two, any of the other times I've played fantasy, they put up 90 points. Not exactly top of the league. I, I'm making a swap from Blacksdale at tight end to uh, Dave Bautista. Hopefully that should make my uh, make my odds look up in later weeks. But also, other than that, I, you know, I was quite happy with how my team performed. As long as uh, Haniati steps it up on the run game, as I think Yellowknife should, then they should be looking quite good in the future. And then finally, Quirky Chittle asks a few questions. First up, in your opinion, who are the offensive defensive players of the week in week one? As I already said, I got to give it to George O'Donnell and Hank Winchester. Both of them just put up crazy stat lines for their teams. And I think both of them were the main reasons their teams came away with the results that they did. 
And he asks Great Start for the Yeti, stomping all over the fishies. Is there a world in which the Yeti finish this season undefeated? And I think it's certainly possible. Anytime you've got the best team in the league, it's certainly possible that they have a decent chance to beat everybody they go up against. What will be really important for me is how do they face the second time they go up against the Sailfish later on in the year? And how do they do on some of their road games like this week against Chicago? Those are going to be the real test. Last year, they only lost, lost one road game uh, against the uh, Sailfish, actually, I believe it was. So... Those are going to be your real tests. It's going to be tricky, but I certainly think it is possible. It's going to be hard to top a 14-2 season, though. And as he asked, if you already haven't already on this point, thoughts of Joel Drake's debut performance? And I thought it was, you know, it was perfectly all right for a debut performance. I don't expect uh, too many crazy stat lines, and I'd like to, at this point, change my prediction for Rookie of the Year to Tayshawn Crunk. Two, I mean, two interception games is absolutely insane to do that as a safety on your first year, on your first game, excuse me of your first year is absolutely crazy. But, you know, I was I was perfectly content with Drake's debut performance. Thank you very much for asking. And he says, love the pod. Keep it coming. I really appreciate it. And now finally, as I said last week, we're going to have a very quick recommendation period. And today we'll be talking about Blade Runner 2049, a film starring Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford in the lead roles. Now, granted, this is going to be a three-hour film, so if you're going to watch this, you really got to be invested. This isn't one of those turn-your-brain-off films, for sure. Uh, But if you love a slow detective film set in a sci-fi setting, there's no film I can recommend more. Uh, I absolutely love all the films made by this director, Denis Villeneuve, and this movie is probably my favorite of all time. So, in the uh, spirit of recommending Blade Runner 2049, then also, by the way, I'd recommend the final cut of the original Blade Runner, but not more than Blade Runner 2049. But in the spirit, I will be playing the theme Tears in the Rain from the end of the soundtrack. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week.